You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans, and thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, brought to you, as always, by DraftKings. Two of the most respected fighters stepped back into the octagon this weekend to compete for the welterweight title. DraftKings, the official daily partner of the UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering new players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up the points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs this weekend. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And how about those Edmonton Oilers winners of three straight and you know what? You can knock them for beating the Sens like they did on Monday and Tuesday, 3-1, 3-2. Maybe not the most impressive games. The Oilers winning a game with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle not scoring a point. That's something new. That's something that doesn't happen too often. But on a Thursday evening when they went to Montreal, facing a little bit of adversity, of course, the big news of the day, Jesse Pugliarvi having a positive COVID-19 test now, Later on in the day, he would have a negative test, but he was ineligible to play. Now he has to test negative twice for COVID before he's able to travel. He'll quarantine for a few days in Montreal. Mikko Koskinen was in close contact with him, so he was kept away from the team. He did not test positive, but it was just a precautionary measure. In the game on Thursday, those two obviously out of the lineup. Mike Smith was great. He goes out there and faces 38 shots, stops them all. One of the best performances we've seen from a goaltender all year, and the Oilers' bottom six just continues to find ways to put up points. Jujar Karras scoring once again. Darnell Nurse, he's now got five goals in his last six games. He's on fire. Tyson Berry scoring another one there, and the Edmonton Oilers collecting a 3 nothing win over the Montreal Canadiens, and it, it's a good sight to see. They didn't have the greatest start to the season. Obviously lost a couple games to Montreal uh, back in January, but it looks like they're trending in the right direction. And even in this game on Thursday, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, they were not pointless. They did get assists, but not scoring goals. So that secondary scoring for the Oilers is going to be crucial throughout the year if they want to have any success. And we know once they get into the playoffs, you need secondary scoring. And right now, Jujar Kara, Darnell Nurse, those guys are stepping up huge. And the Edmonton Oilers now have won three straight. We're going to break down that game with Alan Mitchell of the Lowdown with Low Tide. Of course, you can hear him on TSN 1260 from 10 a.m. till noon, Monday through Friday. He also writes at The Athletic. We're going to get his thoughts on that game and uh, just what's going on with the goaltending. Does he believe that they have enough there to carry on? And just basically the trend that the team is heading in right now. And we're also going to talk to a former member of the Edmonton Oilers. He played 60 games with the team over a span of three years. Got into a lot of fights in this time. Steve McIntyre will join us on the other Connor podcast later on here. And honestly, I did not know how cool his story to the NHL is. It involves 
four or five different leagues. It involves being banned from a league. He was a point-of-game player in a league. So we're going to talk to Steve McIntyre, the pride of Saskatchewan, later on in the show. But let's kick it off and talk a little bit about those Edmonton Oilers and how things are going right now with Alan Mitchell. He's the host of The Lowdown with Low Tide. You can also read his stuff at The Athletic. Alan, how are you doing today? Well, I'm cold, but well, I'm actually warm, but I stepped outside about an hour ago, and I got cold in a quick hurry. But other than that, uh, it, was a, uh, it was a fun night for Oilers fans. That was a, a real good game by the, the road team tonight. Yeah, now the Edmonton Oilers have won three straight, two against the Ottawa Senators, which a lot of people won't want to give them credit for. But going up against the Montreal Canadiens, a team that's looked really good this year, I mean, full marks. They showed up, and, you know, shutting out the Canadiens, it's a big deal. It is, and, and, you know, give Mike Smith credit, he was really calm in that. They did get 38 shots. That's a, that's a lot of shots, um, um, you know, against for a team, but a lot of them did come from, from, you know, quite a long range. Um, I, I counted the high danger, uh, chances as being slightly in favor, um, of Edmonton, but it was close. But, you know, it, it was a pretty close game except on the scoreboard where it was 3 nothing. And I thought the Oilers better, they were, they had better chances and they cashed them. So, um, that, that's how I saw it anyway. It was a pretty close game. Smith played well. The Oilers had the better chances and, uh, Allen played, Allen played well, or it could have been a little more. I think 3 nothing is, um, I, I think it's reminiscent of, of the chances, not necessarily the shot clock. When Mike Smith's out there, I mean, just his ability to play the puck for the Oilers, how much do you think that changes the game plan and maybe eases things up for the defensemen? Yeah, it really does, and especially for this is a young defense and a defense that has a, a difficult time at times getting the puck out, and once they start running around, it's, it's, it's a tough... Uh, you know, it's a tough run for these guys because 20 seconds becomes a minute and a half and you end up taking a penalty or get scored on. But Smith is so good at, at puck control. I saw a couple of times tonight the Habs were trying to shoot it in just outside the trapezoid, which is a neat little trick. But the, I think, I really do. I think that adds, uh, you know, a probably, I don't know if it's goals against per se, but it, 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 it shortens the amount of time those defensemen are playing those really tough minutes in their own zone defending. We'll get to Miko Koskinen and the whole COVID situation in the second tier. Obviously, he wasn't on the bench Wednesday night against the Montreal Canadiens, but we've heard in the past that Miko Koskinen is a guy who probably plays his best hockey with his back up against the wall. So a situation where Mike Smith comes back and is playing very good hockey, do you think this is beneficial for both goalies? Yeah, I do. Although, I'll, like, I I feel like um, you know that may be true. But the big, if you, if you look at the numbers, the big problem for Koskinen, uh, and he did it with Hitchcock, and and now Tippett was forced to do it to him here recently. Is if he gets overplayed, he really you know his glove hand becomes a a, a bigger problem, uh, and he's just not as sharp. And I I think that Koskinen. It was handled correctly uh, a year ago by by Tippett, and, and this year I imagine he'll be handled correctly for the rest of the year. Um, he's the kind of guy who can split the the load pretty well. Smith wants the wants the 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 net a lot as well, but I think I think both of them are well. Uh, well served by by splitting the net as they are doing right now because neither of them is I don't think a quality number one NHL goalie but together they're pretty effective. Uh, the big news of the day: Yessi Puliyarvi, from what we've heard, looks like it was a positive test. 
later on in the afternoon at negative test. So he is on the COVID-19 protocol list. That means he won't be traveling with the team. Uh, needs two negative tests, I believe, before he's actually allowed to leave Montreal. Um, what do you think of just how the NHL is handling this whole situation with Jesse Pugliarvi? I think it's right. I think it's about right. You you don't, you know, look, you're going to get, from what we understand, these tests aren't, completely accurate so you're going to get some false positives and but you're going to have to deal with that what you want to avoid is what's happened with buffalo uh and new jersey and i think minnesota as well and, and where you've got nine or ten players and you simply can't play and your schedule is now busted and and the canadian division so far has kept it going so uh, this this was a way for the nhl to, to maybe ensure that this division doesn't lose any, you know, any days of games, and and I, I think I, even if you have to pull a guy or even cancel a game, that's better than getting 15 guys on one roster with COVID. Yeah, and I I honestly looked at the schedule for the the Thursday night game and thought, you know, the, the Canadians have Friday off, the Oilers obviously off until Monday. Worst case scenario, it's it's not a big deal to delay the game until Friday. Obviously they play the game, good thing for the Oilers, they come away with a 3 nothing victory, but uh, it seems like the NHL is giving themselves some space to work with, so a good sign. Mikko Koskinen, from what we've heard, his equipment was taken away. He was a close contact with Jesse Pugliarvi, so looks like they, they covered the bases, made sure everything was going good. Uh, Al, have you had a, a COVID test yet? I have not. Now, I, I, I can tell you that um, I, I, I was going to uh, because my daughter, uh, who lives with us, she had, um, she had a COVID test and she was in the hospital. As it turned out, it wasn't COVID. She was in the hospital for a few days. Uh, but when we found out it wasn't COVID, I, 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 didn't, I, you know, I didn't get the test and I, I don't have it now. Now, having said that, um, I'm probably a little closer to you than you uh, to getting an actual uh, uh, inoculation because of my age. <laughs> so it's not far away. Uh, but I have not had a COVID test. First things first, your daughter's out of the hospital now? Yeah, she's fine. She was just, <laughs> she, and I would just want to say uh, the nurses and the doctors, great care, just unbelievable. Uh, and I can also tell you, say it was a, a really scary uh, few days for us uh, as a family because it just, you know, I mean, it, it's just the worst damn nightmare, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, the people that, that work at the hospitals are some of the best people out there, and glad to hear your daughter's doing okay. I've had the test done twice now, both back of the throat, and I have a real bad gag reflex, so it's been, like, some of the worst moments for me. <laughs> I, I asked for the, the nose swab once, and the nurse is like, you don't want the nose swab. Trust me, this is better. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't wish it on anyone. And the, what these NHL players are going through right now just to play this season, I applaud them for it and uh, giving us a little bit of a distraction. Now, I want to ask you about J.J. Kara and... You know, he he went through it all this year. He was kind of ripped on our shows, uh, waivers, taxi squad, and now he's playing some of the best hockey we've seen him play as a member of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, do you think it's just a matter of being motivated? Are things clicking? What changed for Jujar? I think a couple of things. I think number one, the the you know going on waivers has to suck, and and the Oilers have been. Um, I think very patient with him, and I think he's worked really hard. And I, uh, I think that, that a couple of years ago, I think he had 22 points and 10 goals, and it looked like he was heading in a certain direction. Then they changed the coach and all of that. And Tippett, when he got here in year one, almost every young player had either their best season or one of their best seasons of their careers. But 
Jajar Carr did not. And coming into this year, I thought, you know, this is going to be tough for him because they had obviously signed Turris, uh, and but they had Shore and Gaetan Haas. And I thought, you know, he could either go to the wing or, or maybe he'll end up on, you know, waivers or with another team. And he did end up on waivers, but uh, he didn't get taken. When he came back after the waiver wire, um, he, I think he'd scored a goal or had got an assist when, when just before he uh, got into this five-game routine that he's in now. And it, it just felt like he was a little more determined. And, and now he's confident. You know, I mean, I, I believe in math and I believe in numbers, but I also do believe that if a, a player is confident and, has, and feels he can do it, there's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, success there. And Jadrag Kara, he, he brings so much. He's such a big physical guy uh he's determined he's got a little bit of a mean streak and he's got some skill and he's showing that so uh, if you're an oiler fan who's been you know waiting on him maybe this is it i know he's a little older uh to emerge as a full-time nhl player but he he just has so much that he can give and that line is doing really well right now yeah we had a uh, scotty upshaw on the jason gregor show a couple weeks ago and a guy who played bottom six in his career and he said you know under these circumstances it's pretty tough you're trying to work on the things you can you don't have that much practice time but you want to go out there be smart defensively provide some energy you know you're going to be put out there and not always the ideal situations but anytime you can chip in offensively obviously you're thankful to do it but you just don't want to be giving up chances and uh for Jujar Karen the Oilers bottom six as a whole like the last few games I think that's been something they've really improved on yeah, they have. And I think Kara, he, he did himself a huge favor by being really good on the PK. So uh, Dave Tippett really wants to have that penalty kill be a strength. And, and so he's, he's probably gotten some games he didn't earn just because of the penalty kill. But, you know, if he can penalty kill well and if he can, you know, chip in five on five, even like a goal a week or, or even if they don't give up a goal in a week, that's, those are all positives. And right now that line is really feeling it. And, and you know, the Oda started 3-6-0, and and I think they're 6-1-0 and since. And, and, you know, Kara's line has been a factor here the last four or five games. Alan Mitchell of the Lowdown with Low Tide joining us here on the Other Connor podcast. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Low Tide. I want to just ask you about the taxi squad and the benefit it's showing. Would you like to see that taken over to a normal NHL season? Maybe not to the extent with the amount of players, but a couple of guys you can just bring along for a situation that happens? I think there's there's some value in that. One of the things I've been looking at is, you know, the, you're you're drafting a guy uh, that you want to bring into the league, and in ordinary circumstances, it would be so great if if you've got like a Dylan Holloway, and you feel like man he's ready, and you pull him out of college, but you have the option of playing him either in the AHL or the NHL. So you can send him to Bakersfield, or you can keep him up here, or you can do both. You can, you know, uh, take him down there and have him play ten games in a row. Come up here and get a couple of games. I think the more um, freedom that a coach has to use a bigger roster, the better. Uh, it probably hurts the AHL quality a little bit, but from the NHL point of view, for the Oilers, especially having these extra defensemen, uh, William Lajeson and, and uh, Evan Bouchard have really played well, and Caleb Jones can't get into the lineup right now, and, and though both of those guys, Lajeson and Bouchard, probably would be in the AHL in a normal year. So with, with the defenseman you just mentioned now, Ethan Bear gets healthy, let's say hypothetically he comes back Monday against the Winnipeg Jets, who comes out of the lineup, or are you going with seven defensemen? 
It's a great question, and I don't. I, I I wrote about it at the Athletic today, and I don't have an answer. I I think you platoon them, so you probably put Jones and uh, Bear back in on Monday, and you probably pull out Lagesson and Bouchard. But it's not really very fi- efficient because Lagesson and Bouchard haven't done anything to deserve to get pulled out of the lineup. So it's it's a little bit unfair. Um, so. From the, I guess the other thing you could do is uh, Slater Cuckoo could come out of the lineup. But, you know, you wonder how many really young defensemen you can play in any given game. So eventually they're going to make a trade. They have to. They have to, uh, you know, call a little bit this, this large herd of defensemen that they have. But I'll tell you, with each passing game, Lagesson and Bouchard, I think, are, are getting a stronger hold on an NHL job. Maybe not until full-time until next year, but there's going to be some changes here in the offseason in Edmonton on the defense based on what we're seeing right now. You might have to dig deep in the memory bank for this one. When was this an issue for the Oilers? Like, I... I don't ever remember this being a position of strength where you looked at it like we could probably, you know, bring someone in free a trade with all the riches of defense that we have. You know, I, I don't recall it honestly. I, I you know, I uh, I know it hasn't happened since 2000, and in the 80s, um, you know, the orders did have. You know, they, 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 they had players coming up like Bukaboom and, and, uh, some stay at home types so they could afford to trade Lee Fogelin, but Fogelin was pretty much near the end of his career by that time. You know, the owners might end up trading, you know, very, quite young players in their career because they don't have room for them. And, and that's, that's a little bit unusual. They, they haven't had this caliber of prospect. Caleb Jones is a hell of a young player. And he can't get into the lineup. I don't recall that. You know, uh, my memory banks are good, not as good as McCurdy's, but they're good. Um, and I, I would say that that I don't recall a Caleb Jones very often during the Oilers' uh, time in the NHL not being able to get into the lineup because other young players were outplaying him. It's uh, it's nice to see. And the one guy who right now might be playing better than any of them, Darnell Nurse. He now has five goals in his last six games. Do you think it's just things starting to come together for him? Maybe a combination of becoming kind of the lead dog there on the blue line with Oscar Clefbaum out of the lineup. Why is it all coming together for Darnell Nurse right now? You know, it's a great question. I would say that when he came into the league, they had a lot of injuries, and he played uh, right side with Andrei Secker, I believe, in 2015. And that that pairing started out well, and then they struggled. And it took a little time for Nurse to kind of settle in after that. Uh, and then he did, and he played really well in 16, 17. That was a really good year. But he was still making young mistakes. You know, the backdoor play. Remember the play with uh, in the crease with the Ducks. But last year, he and Bear really kind of formed a good tandem. And this year, Nurse has sort of moved past that again. And, and there's a couple of things that he's doing that he didn't used to do. One, he's, he, he, he doesn't do it all the time, but he used to make really hard passes, and they'd often fly off the, the, the winger's stick and go into the opposition zone and you know get called for icing or whatever. His touch passes coming out of the zone are much better this year. I guarantee he's worked on them. And you know he does it really well. And not all the time, but he's, but he's much better than he was. And the other thing that he 
does is, you know, there was a time, God love him, when, and, and the owners have had lots of defensemen who do this over the years, where he would come in over the line, it'd be a three-on-two, and he would just shoot the puck and it would hit the goalie's crest. And that would be it. And Nurse now is he's picking his corners on his, uh, on his uh, wrist shots, and when he slaps it, he puts everything into it. And if it does miss the goalie, it's going to go in. And, and he just see, I think, I think the game has slowed down for him a little bit when he has the puck. And he's able to do more with the puck because of it. And just those little subtle things I mean he's defending less and he's on offense more. Al, uh, coming up on the podcast here, following this interview, of course, I've got a chat with Steve McIntyre, former Oiler, maybe one of the toughest guys to ever <laughs> lace him up for the Oilers. Do you have a favorite memory of his from his time with the team? Well, I, what I remember about McIntyre is that he was, you know, he was, he was so, like he was very tough, and he, he got challenged a lot, uh, and he had to stick up for a lot of guys, and he never backed down. Like if it was the second fight of a night, I've been told by guys who have fought, it, once you fight, you're, you you have a reduced capacity to do it again, and he never turned anything down, and and you know he was a uh, obviously a fourth line guy, but he had a little bit of success with the puck and. You know, what I liked about him was it was pretty obvious that, that you know, he got to the NHL off of, off of his ability to fight. But he didn't stop there. He tried to make himself a better player even when he was in the league, and he did. He, he was able to, to figure out some things and accomplish some things and take a little more playing time. He wasn't just an enforcer, but th- that and the fact that he never turned I, – I do not recall him turning away from a fight. He, even if it was the second fight of the night, he'd take it and, and – and uh, that's a that's a lot of gumption because you can get really hurt if you're tired in a fight. And he was he took on a lot of them. He fought a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say you definitely want to tune into this one if you get a chance, Al, because it's a really good story. And I didn't know his road to the NHL was as long as it was. Like this oh, guy yeah. just kept on working despite being told he'll never make the NHL. He proved them wrong. Was in the league for I think five years. So a uh, uh, very cool story there. Looks like the Oilers now off until. Sunday. They've got a couple designated days off. So over the weekend, we'll find out what happens with Jesse Pugliarvi, Miko Koskinen, the whole COVID scare. But Al, thanks so much for hopping on today. Really do appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Have a great night. There you go. That is Alan Mitchell of the Lowdown with Low Tide. You can hear him on TSN 1260 Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. until noon. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Low Tide or read his work at The Athletic. I highly recommend doing so. Great stuff all the time from Alan Mitchell. Right now, let's just jump right into it. Steve McIntyre, one of the toughest guys to play in the NHL. 60 games for the Oilers in three seasons. 140 penalty minutes, two goals, one assist, and one knockout punch that any Edmonton Oilers fan will remember. Steve McIntyre joins us on this show. You can give him a follow on Twitter at smacker 33 Steve McIntyre joining us on the show. Steve, thanks so much for doing this today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Connor. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and doing this and uh, making some time for us. And before we get to your times with the Oilers, let's go back uh, from what I've read. You grew up in Brock, Saskatchewan. Was it hockey for you from day one, or were you uh, playing any other sports growing up? Oh, you know, back home we played a little baseball, a little bit of everything, but our minor hockey uh, team, like I said, we were that was our baseball team and our hockey team, so that was about uh, what we did for sports. And growing up, were you a fan of any professional team? Was it, you know, the Pats, the Blades, or did you like the Oilers, anything like that? I was an Oilers fan from day one. Um, my very first hockey jersey was uh, an Oilers jersey, so 
uh, it was it was Oilers all the way when I was a kid. So, who was your favorite player, and did you get a chance to see them win the cups? Oh, I I think I wa- well I watched them win all their cups, and I mean obviously the the list goes on and on. I mean that whole team, well all of the teams, uh, you know all the guys on the teams. I mean I could pretty much go down the list and name all of the players from different teams and. I got to meet most of them when I played in Edmonton. Uh, most memorable was uh, Mark Messier. Uh, he he said hello to me, and and shoot, he sat there and talked to me for, I don't know, it was 10 to 15 minutes, and I was just sitting there in awe. And then, uh, you know, meet Marty McSorley, that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, obviously a, a big fan and part of the reason why I wore 33. I'm a little envious. I kind of missed out on that. Just kind of, you know, just a little too young, unfortunately, missed out on it. But uh, let's get to your playing days here. And uh, you played for the Blades, Rebels, Raiders, and Tigers in the WHL. After your time in the WHL, what was your hockey future looking like? I mean, did you have any interest from NHL organizations? What was it like? It was pretty bleak, to put it mildly. Um, I left Medicine Hat on some... uh, you know, not some. I was pretty sour. Um, you know, they called me in to do a job, and I thought I did it well, but unfortunately, uh, I might have done it too well. Um, and I can say that proudly. Um, but uh, I got to go to Ocean up in the Palm, Manitoba, in the MJHL, and man, what an awesome, unbelievable experience that was. Uh, living up there with the native people and and being part of that organization. Uh, you know, to finish off as a 20-year-old, my junior uh, year, winning the, the cup there, the championship, that was pretty fun. So once you leave uh, Manitoba, where was the next stop for you? It looks like you've been playing the CEHL? The Continental Elite Hockey League. <laughs> I stopped there. It was funny. Um, I was actually enrolled to go to uh, Red Deer College, or that was kind of my, my route. I was going to go be a teacher. And uh, I got a call. Um, from uh, at that time it was a no name league and no disrespect to the guys that played or or that league but you know I'd never heard of it before and a lot of people had never heard of it before and uh, it was it was an opportunity to come down to the states and um, it was it was it was an experience that I'll never forget and part of the reason why I got to stay and, and play in the States is uh, I played there and then ended up in uh, Muskegon, Michigan in the UHL. Danton Cole gave me an opportunity there, a chance, and it just kind of went from there. But to answer your previous question about uh, you know the NHL, was it a hope or a dream? Absolutely, it was a hope and a dream, but uh, the likelihood of me playing in the NHL was very, very bleak. <laughs> you end up with the Charlotte Checkers in the East Coast Hockey League, 61 games played, 217 penalty minutes, obviously doing a little bit of fighting down there. How did you get involved with the East Coast League and, you know, kind of just that first step to making it to the NHL? Well, my coach in uh, Muskegon, uh, my second year, so I played uh, two years, or a year and a half, I should say, in Muskegon. I finished off the year. I ran into some suspension problems in uh, the CEHL, and uh, like I said, I got an opportunity to play in Muskegon and, and be a part of that team. I won a championship there, and and then uh, I ended up going to the LNAHA or whatever that league was. I think it was LNA, LNAHA league, uh, the Quebec Senior Semi-Pro League, 
and I found out pretty quick that that wasn't really what I wanted to do and I ended up going back to Muskegon and uh, Mike Buznick was the coach there and he was the assistant coach I want to say years previous to with Hartford and their organization uh, and then obviously with the Rangers being their parent affiliation and that's kind of how I got my my uh, you know foot in the door um, the Rangers uh, they showed a little bit of interest and invited me to developmental camp and and that's kind of how I started out in Charlotte. They sent me to Charlotte, or actually, they sent me to Hartford camp, and, uh, and then they sent me to the, to the coast, and, and that's where I started in Charlotte. I mean, your story is outstanding. Like, just going through your hockey DB, like, it looks like, you know, you, you had a lot of stops, but you made it to the NHL, and I want to ask you about your time with the Oilers, but you, you talked about the CEHL, and, uh, just saw on your Wikipedia page, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you receive a lifetime ban from the league? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us how that happens? Well, <laughs> I was a little bit of a menace to society back then. <laughs> I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, and I had a good co- I had a coach by the name of Kurt Walston, and we were a bunch of Canadian kids uh, playing down here in the States, and uh, you know, we were a bunch of ragtag, bunch of guys, and rough and tumble, and you know, we had some Maritimers and golly, that was the first experience I had with the Maritimers. And man, I'm tell you what, what a good bunch of guys. I had a couple fellas from buddies from Manitoba from the MJHL who I played with or played against the year before. Uh, Brian White and Corey Dukowski, they were my roommates, and I mean, it was just, it, it was. We kind of ran roughshod a little bit, <laughs> just being the Canadian way. You know, we we had a hard nosed team, and we could you know we could play, and we could we could play any style of game we wanted to play. And uh, needless to say, the the people didn't appreciate the way we played, uh, and I kind of got caught into that, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it got a. I got three suspensions, and yes, they were warranted. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, but like I said, the last one kind of, you know, it was against the commissioner's son, and and uh, he was, you know, pretending to be a tough guy, and and I was just playing hockey, and and uh, we had a run in before, and we had a pretty good fight, and and then uh, he was trying to do the same thing, and I just kind of. I cross-checked him in front of the net, and he kind of went to crack me over the head with a stick, and I kind of gave him a little extra shot, and that's kind of what got me this lifetime ban. <laughs> I mean, that's a the good story. One, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, yeah, that's pretty that's, – that's worth it, I'd say. I mean, if you're going to get a lifetime ban, you might as well make it worth it. And uh, in that league, though, I mean, you were almost a point-of-game player. You weren't just going out there running guys or anything. You know, the way we played, like, it was such a – I mean, he rolled – I think we had three lines or four lines, and I mean, he rolled everybody, and um, it was a great opportunity. It was I could use my shot on the point, and and I mean, you know, it wasn't necessarily the best league, but it was it was a you know it was a good league. We only had six teams, so we kind of had a little bit of a rivalry. Uh, obviously, we hated all the other teams because we played them so much, but uh, and like I said, we had a. <laughs> A little bit of notoriety, I guess, or, or you know, we were kind of 
we were kind of tagged as the outlaws, I guess, because we were all a bunch of Canadians and, you know, with a couple of good American kids. And, and we just played played hard. And, uh, you know, our coach demanded a lot from us. And and uh, he was fun to play for. And, you know, he'd go to bat for us. And, you know, we tried to, to do the best we could for him. So it was it was fun. So flash experience. It <laughs> sounds like it, and I mean, flash forward a few years later, there are stops in the East Coast League, the AHL, uh, a few games in the UHL as well. But in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, you play sixty two games with the Providence Bruins. I mean, at that point, did you know you were right there? Like, good year there, you could be in the NHL a year later. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, it was. I had, you know, I kind of had, you know. That year before, I kind of, I don't know, we kind of got in a little bit of a uh, kind of a scrap between, you know, the Rangers organization and myself, like, and my agent, and I pretty much told my agent to take a hike, or he pretty much, actually, I think he pretty much told me to take a hike, because I wouldn't sign. Um, You know, they offered me a pretty subpar deal, and I was like, you know what, I'm just, no, I ain't going to do that, I'm not going to. Uh, play for nothing and and what I was asking wasn't uh, extravagant and so I ended up going to um, to play in Quad City in the UHL that year and I actually ended up uh, quitting Uh, I just I got sour I just I'd had enough and I got to a point where you know uh, I just I was missing home um, you know, my son was born that uh, the the year, well, actually the spring before, and I was missing him, and and then uh, you know, just adding up all the years that I hadn't been home for Christmas, it uh, really took a toll on on me uh, mentally, and I just kind of, you know, I couldn't really see myself going anywhere, and then uh, so I, like I said, I just went in and told the coach kind of what I what my thoughts were, and. I just told him, I said, I, I can't do this. And, uh, you know, he was pretty hot, but at the same time he respected, uh, you know, my de- why, you know, my decisions for my family and, and putting them first. And, and uh, you know, I ended up uh, getting called up to Providence. Or I got a call to go to Providence that year when I was in Quad City, and I declined it. And I said, you know, if you guys are really interested in me, you know, give me a summer to train and, and call me back. And they never did. I didn't hear nothing from it. And, and I just kind of continued doing my thing. And, you know, um, they called me two weeks before camp and I weighed while well, I was fat and out of shape. I think I weighed 267 pounds, 268 pounds, whatever. I, I might have even been more, uh, but I had two weeks to get in shape, somewhat shape. And I uh, went to training camp and, they told me, they said, you know, we've got a, a skills coach and we've got a, a fight instructor, you know, a fight coach, I guess you'd say. And I said, you know, I'll come give it a chance and try it. And that's what I did. And that's how I ended up meeting uh, Paul Vincent and uh, um, I call him Mr. V and, and Doug Smith. And they were a big, well, they were the they were the reason why I had a chance at the NHL. There's no doubt in my mind. If it wasn't for those two guys, I, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you um i owe i owe everything uh, to them two guys they they helped me out mr v you know we had a conversation the very first uh time we met you know we're skating around and he comes up to me and he says hey maca how you doing i said oh you know nice to meet you mr v he said uh 
you know, he asked me, he said, you know, what's your goals and aspirations? I said, well, Mr. V, I said, I've been at this game long enough. I said, I'd like to play in the NHL one day. He looked at me, not even breaking a smile, and he said, well, Macca, he says, I got a better chance of dating Meg Ryan than you do going to the NHL. And, of course, obviously that kind of, uh, you know, I was like, oh. But, but then he said, he kind of paused for a while, and then he said, but, he said, let me tell you something. He said, if you come come to practice, you know, before, work with me before practice and then after practice, he said, uh, you know, I'll help you. I'll give you what I can do. And uh, he said, but the first day that you miss, he said, we're done. And for the rest of the year, you know, I was out before practice and after practice with Mr. V and, and Doug. And, and like I said, they were – the next year, uh, I ended up signing with Florida in their organization. So – a big thank you and a, and a, and a, a very appreciative to those two individuals and the coaching staff in Providence as well. Oh, it's awesome how, how one coach can really shape you and help you get there. And then the next season you end up playing for the Edmonton Oilers. How did that come to be? Well, actually, I was under contract with Florida, and I went to training camp, had a good camp there, and uh, I got in my first couple exhibition games against Edmonton and Calgary, and um uh, you know, it was it just kind of went from there. Um, they they sent us down. We we ended up in Montreal, and they sent us down. You know, uh, 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 the GM for for Florida, I think at that time was uh, oh, shoot, what was his name? But anyway, he shot us down and said, "Hey, you know, we're they had Wade Belak there in in Florida, and I kind of seen the writing on the wall, and um, they sat me down and said, "Hey, you know, we're going to send you to Rochester." And, watch you go down and play and you know develop your skills and keep keep working on things and you know I was a little bummed out but at the same time you know I'd been down this road before and I knew how it worked so uh the first day down um you know we got on the ice and I don't even think I made it through halfway through practice and they called me off the ice and said hey uh, Jack Birch sat me down and said uh you know Macker uh Edmonton has picked you up on waivers and so you're going to Edmonton and I'm just I'm sitting there in disbelief, like I'm, I'm I, I just couldn't believe that Edmonton, you know, the team that I grew up rooting for and cheering for, you know, would take a chance on me. Uh, um, I just I was so excited, and I didn't want to be disrespectful, but I mean, I didn't really understand or know what that meant, but I was you know gung ho to go, and I was so excited to to be a part of that organization and. And, uh, you know, with Craig McTavish and, and, and Steve uh, Tambellini and, and the whole organization, uh, you know, uh, they gave me that opportunity. And like I said, Mac T, uh, he, he's, he took a chance on me, and I'm very, very thankful for that opportunity. So the first time you throw on the Oilers jersey, and I think your first home game was October 18th against the Calgary Flames. Like, how cool was that for a kid who grew up cheering for the Oilers, uh, probably, you know, watching games being played at Rexall Place or the Coliseum? Like, what was it like your first time skating out there in front of the crowd? Oh. <laughs> the very first, well, the very first game I played was in Edmonton, or pardon me, was in Calgary. It was an exhibition game, and and like I said uh, in previous podcasts, like you know, you putting putting that jersey over your shoulders, and you know, I had a tear and a little bit of a tear in my eye. I kind of had to hold it back a little bit because it was so emotional. Because you know, it was, it was a dream come true. And I sat there and looked at uh, Ethan Morrow, and I was just like, 
I couldn't believe it. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know, he said, if more people had uh, that, what you've got right now, we'd be we'd be in a good situation. And, and so that, I really appreciated that. That was definitely a word of encouragement. And I had, you know, the utmost respect for, for Chopper uh, after that. I'd go through a brick wall for him. But uh, that was my first experience. And then, uh, you know, uh, obviously had a pretty good game and, uh, you know, did what I had to do and and uh, got an opportunity to play at home in, in Edmonton. And that's something that I won't forget either because I believe it was a game where my whole family wore one of my jerseys from each team I played for <laughs> along the road. That was pretty cool. Oh, that that is it's such an awesome story. I mean, the road you took to the NHL, uh, it's amazing the fact that you never gave up and you know just kept on grinding it out and making it work getting to the NHL uh, carve out you know a pretty good little career there in the NHL and you, you play with some really good teams some skilled players I want to ask you about uh, having Pat Quinn as a coach like when you think back to your time with Pat Quinn coaching the Oilers is there any story or a memory that comes to mind so you know what he was telling tell me about a guy that he had and if he'd had a sixth line he would have put him on that line <laughs> And I mean, I'm not naming names, but uh, he was pretty—he was pretty well known uh, for what I did in Toronto. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to name names. But I'm sure you guys can probably figure out who I was talking about. But uh, you know, just just uh, Pat was a very unique individual. You know, on like I said, we kind of got him right at the last you know part of his career as coach, and and. Uh, you know, I don't know if we necessarily jihad a little bit. He had some words uh, when I left, and and uh, you know they weren't the nicest uh, parting words. Uh, you know, but at the same time, uh, you know I chose to to take the high road and and just you know leave it at that. You fought Derek Bugard three times in the NHL. Uh, what was it like going up against the Boogeyman? Oh man, he's a big scary dude. Uh, <laughs> You know, unfortunately, like I said, losing a guy like that, um, you know, is obviously a terrible tragedy. And but uh, you know, I had fought him once in junior, and and I got the better of him there. And and then uh, you know, <laughs> fighting him in Edmonton, um, you know, it was a pretty. It was especially in front of your from your home crowd. It was like, oh, you better. Do do the best you can because <laughs> you kind of got a tiger by the tail here. <laughs> so do the best you can and hang in there. But uh, you know he's a big, strong guy and and uh, very uh, very dangerous. So you had to bring your A game for him. That's for sure. Was he the toughest guy you went up against, or was there anyone else that kind of stands out as a, a pretty tough task? Well, like I said, he was he was definitely up there, but. I mean, all of the, all the guys I fought, you know, were were tough and and are tough. And like I said, my hats off to to each and every one of them that uh, you know did what I did for their team. And um, obviously, Eric Goddard, uh, you know, we had history in the WHL back in the when I was playing for Blades and in the, the Raiders, uh, we had some knockdown dragouts. And then obviously, uh, you know, he broke my hurdle bone in Pittsburgh. That was probably the hardest I've ever been hit, uh, no doubt, next to my little brother. But, 
Um, probably Wade Belock was right up there. Um, was one of the tougher guys I fought along with Goddard, and then obviously the strongest guy I've ever fought was definitely, uh, no doubt, was uh, Donald Brashear. Guy was like wrestling a grizzly bear, <laughs> but uh, you know it was like I said. It, it's and then he had Colt Moore that he could. He had such long arms and he was, and he was strong too. And, I mean we 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 had a m- numerous scraps over the years, uh, but I mean everybody was really you know really really tough. I have to ask you about uh, even ends the fight October seventh two thousand ten um, early on in this season. I think it was the game Jordan Everly had that that goal in his first ever NHL game, and you put him down with one, like one of the cleanest shots I think I've ever seen. What do you remember about that fight and just the crowd? Because I mean, Rex all blew up after that. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, you know, it was kind of a. I mean, at the time, um, you know, we had a we had a hell of a good fight in the preseason. Actually, it was probably one of the better ones I've had. Um, you know, I kind of we go back uh, back to our U-Haul days when I was in Muskegon, and he was in Rockford, and uh, you know, he he got me with a he had a cast on, and he hit me with a cast, and he cut me over my my uh, right eye, and I always I never forgot that. And uh, not saying that it carried over, but obviously, uh, you know, I got the better of him that night. But in all honesty, you know, you hate to see somebody get hurt. Um, you kind of know going into it that it could happen. Unfortunately, you know, it happened that night to him. And, and like I said, I, you know, looking back, it, it was, you don't want to see anybody get hurt. And you especially don't want to see, you know, hurt somebody. But, um, you know, obviously at the time, you know, you got the adrenaline pumping through you, and it's like, holy moly, like I just, this is on the world class. Everybody's, you know, watching at home, our home opener, and, you know, this happens. And uh, I was pretty, I'm not going to lie, I was pretty excited. And then I kind of settled down and kind of realized what happened. And, you know, I, I kind of felt I felt bad uh, a little bit, and I always tried to make sure that whenever we went to Calgary, I, you know, asked how he was doing, and just to, you know, make sure that he was okay, or you know, that he was on the mend anyway. And you know, you hate to see a guy get hurt, and then over an extended period of time. But uh, it was one of those games where. You know, Ebb scored that goal, and we ended up beating Calgary. I think I'm not even sure what the score was, but it was the epic battle of Alberta and something that I'll definitely never forget. Yeah, just speaking as someone who was watching that game with buddies that night, like that's a memory I think any Oiler fan will remember. And obviously, we're we're glad he's okay and everything like that. But that was just the exclamation point on one hell of a night. Uh, it was a lot of fun for Oilers fans, and uh, uh, <laughs> something a lot of people will definitely remember you by. Uh, I had a couple coworkers I told you were coming on the show, and they had a couple questions for you, if that's okay. So, <laughs> Tom Gazzola, who of course was with Oilers TV for a long time, oh, yeah. he wanted me to ask you, what was your favorite road city? Oh, Nashville, probably. <laughs> Nashville and Boston. And how, okay, so I, I get Nashville. How come Boston? The history. Um, you know, I had a taste of it when I was in Providence. But, I mean, 
you know the the sports uh, the sports teams. I was never ever a Pats fan, but uh, when I was in Providence, I got to go see a Pats game, and and uh, I mean I was right there, like on the wall, and Teddy Bruschi scores a touchdown, and and you know he jumps kind of in the crowd, and it's like he's three feet down for me, and I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> that was pretty cool. But I mean, you know, being a Prairie boy, farm boy, uh, you, you know, you just never get that experience and then you know playing in Boston you know it was just it was an experience and then just you know the Red Sox you know I became a Red Sox well I was a Red Sox fan kind of Red Sox and Blue Jays all my life but you know just to see the history uh, you know obviously the 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 movies that are made in Boston and what Boston's kind of known for and you know it was, it was pretty cool and then obviously the seafood <laughs> Okay, and a final question for you from uh, Jason Strudwick. He wants me to ask you about a drill in practice, and he said you just couldn't do it, and you got a little bit upset. You might have scared Alish Hemsky. He just wants me to ask you about that. I, I don't know exactly what he's referring to. <laughs> I've, there were so many drills. I was a drill wrecker. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I mean, it was... I mean, I'm all eyeballs, and you know what? You know, especially when I was the first few years when I was with Edmonton, uh, I think Alan Hammer came across the blue. I think we ended up just crushing each other, and I felt so bad. I think it might even be warm warm up or pregame skate or something. I'm not even sure, but Strutty will know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. There's so many drills I messed up. It's like. That was probably my biggest fear. It wasn't even fighting anybody. It was. It wasn't even playing the game. It's like, do not, please don't. I, I had. I stayed up at night trying to remember drills, and and thankfully, when I, it's funny. I don't mean still wrecked them in, in Wilkesbury and, and Pittsburgh, but you know we actually had a playbook, and I could go and look at the playbook, and it's like, okay, I need to go here. I didn't have like, I don't have a hockey IQ. I didn't really have a high hockey hockey IQ. And you know, I was a very, I was very defensive minded, and playing forward was so backwards to me. You know, it's like I don't want the puck. I want to give it to somebody. I want to go stand in front of the net, and you know, muck in the corners. But I don't want the puck on my stick for any length of time. And if it's on my stick for any length of time, I don't want it. And that was kind of my, you know, as simple and as, as you know, dumb as that sounds. It was like, you know. It, and like I said, going into the drills and stuff like that, I get I get yelled at or oh man, it was I was I was a wreck. I was a nervous wreck during practice. But you know, thankfully my time in Pittsburgh, I kind of Dan Bowles kind of took me aside and said, hey, and I and it's and it stuck with me because you know I always tried to be the hardest worker and I'd try to do things 100 mile an hour and I'd have zero execution. And he actually Dan Bowlesma, uh one of the cool things about him when I was in Pittsburgh, he took me aside. He knew he's like, he's like, I know you're sitting here grinding your stick, you know, like into sawdust. You know, he said, relax. He said, go 50% speed and 100% execution, and then we'll work on that. And I mean, being with that organization, being with those high-profile players, I could do that, and they could kind of slow things down to my speed. And then I was like, you know, graduated from 50%, then, you know, 75, and then I'm doing at a high level. And it's like, oh, okay, well, now I, now I feel a lot confident, more confident. And then when I came back to Edmonton the second time, 
I felt more confident. I felt at ease, and it wasn't such a, you know, uh, a trying ordeal. (laughs) (laughs) But there were days where, man, I was so nervous out there. I was like, oh, please, don't screw this up. And, I mean, it can't be easy when you've got the likes of, you know, Alice Hemsky ripping around out there doing these things with ease, hey? Oh, yeah, it was, like I said, I uh, those kind of guys, guys like that, and, you know, all them guys that were just naturally gifted and naturally good skaters. And, you know, obviously they had to work for what they had, too, but it just came, it just seemed like it came so much easier. <laughs> I'd be sitting there grinding my stick into sawdust, and they'd be just out there just kind of, you know, skating around. And, yeah, it was... It was very trying. <laughs> Steve, I really appreciate you doing this and hopping on the podcast, sharing some of your stories here. Uh, no there's a bunch we could have got to. Maybe we can do it again sometime, but I really appreciate this. Uh, thanks a lot for hopping on. Absolutely. My pleasure. And like I said, hello and to everybody out in Edmonton. Steve McIntyre, former NHLer, one of the toughest guys I ever got a chance to watch. And uh big pleasure to have him coming on the Other Connor podcast. You can give him a follow on Twitter at smacker 33 and that's going to wrap it up for us here on the Other Connor Podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. One more time, we got to give a big thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use the promo code THPN and get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Only at DraftKings, minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings. Dot com for details. And that's going to do it for us here on the show today. My name is Connor Halley. Give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. Also take your comments, critiques, anyone you think we should try to line up here on the show, any alumni, anything like that, let me know on Twitter at Connor Halley. And once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Big thanks to Alan Mitchell of the Lowdown with Low Tide joining us here and former member of the Edmonton Oilers, Steve McIntyre. We are out the Oilers. They are off until Monday night when they take on the Winnipeg Jets on Tuesday's show. We'll recap that game and talk a little bit more about the Edmonton Oilers, as we always do here on the Other Connor Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.